And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have somebody who I adore, who like takes topics and delves in them in ways that um, usually are intimidating to a lot of white folk, but yet is able to get real dialogue out of it. But none other than W. Kamal Bell. How you feeling today? Oh, thank you for that intro. I appreciate it, brother. You know how much I respect you. Yeah, no, nah, you, you keep it 100 all the time. The first thing I want to talk about with you is the arc of your career. Like, how did you <laughs> land in comedy and television? Talk about how you ended up where you are today, because people see you with all these shows and mm -hmm. they're like, what? How, where did, How did that happen? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this is the standard show business career. <laughs> you know, you'd be a little black boy who loves Saturday Night Live and thinks Eddie Murphy is the same age as you. And you go, I want to do that when I grow up. Uh, I always wanted to be a stand up comedian from the moment I realized I couldn't actually be Spider-Man like the superhero, not an actor playing Spider-Man. And I just and so I started doing comedy when I was young. And I think the thing that happened is when I started doing comedy in the 90s, there was this thing called the comedy boom and then the comedy bust. And I started in the middle of the bust is what happened. There was not clubs had closed. A lot of opportunity had dried up. Comics weren't being given multi-million dollar contracts for five minutes of material. And so for a while, I just sort of was like in the wilderness of trying to figure out how to be a comedian, what I wanted to do. And it really wasn't until I like 10 years in when I decided to like take matters into my own hands. And I wrote a one person show called the W. Kamau Bell Curve, ending racism in about an hour. Uh, and the gimmick was if you brought a friend of a different race, you got in two for one. And, you know, we did that in the Bay Area. So there are lots of people taking advantage of that gimmick. And Chris Rock saw a version of that show. And that basically kicked my career into high gear because he produced my first TV show. When that got canceled, I got United Shades. And now I'm talking to you. United Shades, you, I mean, you still, you still there, right? I mean, we're not. No, 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 no. <laughs> they let everybody go except uh, Eva Longoria. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what had happened. I was afraid to ask. People no, no, no. You don't have to be afraid. I mean, I, there was no real major announcement about it. And there was, and I've sort of like, you know, I'm, you know, I was raised by hustlers. So I always keep things going on. So when I sort of saw the writing on the wall, I was like, all right, well, let me just try to, let me just keep hustling. And so that's sort of why I got this film right now. We're going to get to that film in one second. You are a great comic. You come from a comedy background. I wanted to talk to you about one of my friends. I, I'm pretty sure you know him well, but none other than Roy Wood, who I thought absolutely crushed it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it was good when it was landing at home and nobody out there in the audience was really laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, I'm on the record of saying, please don't ever invite me to that gig. <laughs> so, like, like, I think so how much as a, as a stand up, though, when you have that type of thing where you're not talking to the audience, where you're literally roasting the audience, mm -hmm. uh, what type of prep goes into that? What does that look like? I mean, I think a lot of the prep for doing that is actually prep of just being a stand up comedian and really do, getting in your 10,000 hours. So Roy has gotten in his 10,000 hours and more. Forget TV, just being a stand-up comedian. So like going on the road, and I'm talking about before he was on TV, before he was famous, as a working comic, I'm sure he's played a lot of gigs where nobody in the room was laughing, or a lot, and plus Roy will play any crowd any time. So he's played a lot of gigs where they were like, is this our comedian? Is this the guy we gotta, is this the guy who's gonna tell us jokes? So you build up, if you've put in that time, you've built up a callus so you can bomb and sometimes and enjoy it because you know i'll win another night but then with this audience you know you're playing if you're smart you're playing for the audience at home you're not playing for those people in that room yeah i mean i i watched that and was just taken aback by how measured he was mm -hmm. and the way his jokes landed that yeah. my favorite one was the Clarence Thomas. And now that, ladies and gentlemen, is what an NFT is. I mean, it was just, 
it was just how it landed. Who are your, I mean, we, we've, we've spoken before, but I've never really asked you this question, but who are your creative influences? Um, I mean, it's funny. Like, I think the older I get, the more that that question changes. Cause I start to see people whose careers arc over time. So for me, somebody who I knew a little bit about as a kid, but the more I've learned about him and the more I've sort of learned about his career and his life is Dick Gregory. Oh. He's somebody who I feel like it's really like either you walk the walk or you don't walk the walk. So I was honored to be asked to, to be in the Dick Gregory uh, 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 documentary. It's funny. I couldn't think of the word documentary. <laughs> I was honored to be asked to be in the Dick Gregory. Memoriam? I was like, what are you? Bitch <laughs> no, no, no. I was, honored to, I was honored to be a part of Dick Gregory's documentary. And it was really like for me, it was a time to show up and really talk about the fact that like a lot of comics will go on stage and tell political jokes and sort of be look like they're standing out there and like, I don't care what anybody what happens to me. But Dick Gregory actually gave up a very successful career in stand up comedy to go actually be an activist and do the work. So it's you know, it's like the it's like Colin Kaepernick is maybe the only other except he didn't give it up. It was taken from him. But just the idea of like you're saying, I'm going to go. I get that the jokes are fine, but it's not actually doing the work. That's a big deal for me. And what's your creative process like? How much weed do you smoke before you come up with these ideas? <laughs> how, how do you come up with these concepts? I mean, these concepts are like, it, they're, when, you, when you say them and you, I mean, because we're about to get into growing up mixed in a second. Um, yeah. But when you say these things, they're right in front of your face. But I'm like, how come nobody thought about this? What, what, what's your creative flow like? I mean, I think I'm just, I think I'm, uh, I'm super, I'm super curious about things. So I think that's just general. I think as an only child, I had a lot of time on my, on my hands and I was just super curious about everything. And I think sometimes my career makes it look like I'm only curious about a small sliver of things, but I'm just the kind of person who reads Wikipedia. Just like, I don't know what this is, but let me find out. So that's one. And the other thing is like, I think I'm sort of hardheaded. So like when you say, wait, are you really going to meet the KKK? I'm like, sure, I guess. Is that bad? <laughs> and I, I mean, and then nobody's I get there. actually done it before. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, to me, it's, and then I get there and I'm like, what was I thinking? That happens to me a lot. I get to the thing when I'm doing it. I go, whose idea was this? Oh yeah, it was mine. So, you know, I think that I just get, I just, there's these questions that occur to me that I feel like if I don't see somebody else answering them, then I feel like I have this place in, in this position in my career where I can actually try to answer some of these questions. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Well, let's get into it. I mean, the reason you're here on the show today is because we want to help you promote and talk about your new title, Growing Up Mixed. Why did you do this special and how much of it is shaped by your own family experience? Well, yeah, just to be clear, the title is fully a thousand percent me growing up mixed just because uh, we wanted to put some one of the kids in the in the in the uh, doc says I ask him what his mix are. He says I'm a hundred. He says I'm a he says I'm a hundred percent Filipino. I'm a hundred percent black and I'm a thousand percent a person. And so that was the way we were like that's so how say we it one from. more time. So we have it. It's a, a say it one more time. The Full name of the doc is a thousand percent me growing up mixed. A thousand percent me growing up mix. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so why yeah. did you do this and how much of it is shaped by your family experience? Well, it's funny you say that because first of all, my wife is white. So we have three daughters who identify as black and mixed race. So it, it's really shaped as me and my wife being parents, realizing that, especially with our oldest daughter, when she was born, that she was going to have experiences that we didn't understand because she was going to grow up with this mixed identity. 
and she lives in the Bay Area where they talk about the mixed identity. So she was going to have access to talk about it. She was going to be adults around her who were mixed she could talk to. And then we noticed that like a lot of her friends were mixed, but they weren't all mixed black and white like she was. There's like, you know, black and Chinese. There's the, a little girl who in the film who's black, white, and indi- uh, I mean, she's white, indigenous, and uh, Costa Rican. So there's this idea that like, for some reason, maybe these mixed folks are attracted to each other. But then if I think about my own family legacy and my own history, my roots go back to the South. And they didn't call it mixed back then. But as you know, in the South, a lot of black folks are mixed, but not the way we think about it today. Yeah, we all we all are. I mean, that, that is yeah. I mean, it is what it is. One of the unique things I wanted to ask you, and I thought about this question a lot, so I just throw it out there. Talk about the potentially unique perspectives of black and white interracial couples, given how uh it those tend to be. I mean, do you feel like you're viewed differently as a black man because of it? Oh, of course. <laughs> like, of course. I, mean, I knew the answer to the question. I just I, no, no, no. I just didn't. I don't want to be like, no, I would never. I don't want anybody <laughs> to think. I don't know. I think people accept us for who we are on the inside. Yeah, no. I mean, we live in the Bay Area, so there's a certain level of that, you know, that we live here. There's a reason. Part of the reason we live here, I mean, my wife is from near here, so it's not an accident. And I love it here. But, you know, if we lived in other parts of the country, it would be different, you know. So and I also think that, like, there are certainly black spaces that I I will walk into, but I will know that some people's black spaces will judge me once they know that my wife is white or they may know it because I'm, I talk about it. So I get that there's tension around that, but I don't disrespect it. I get where that tension comes from, but if you can meet me on my level and talk to me and my wife about us, maybe we can get through that. But I don't, I don't walk through the world going like, you know, there's only one race, the human race. How, if at all, did notable mixed race people like Barack Obama change the perception of biracial or multiracial uh, people in his view? I mean, I feel like this, the the thing that uh, is interesting is that, first of all, the terms for mixed race folks change over time, even say mixed race. A lot of folks don't say mixed race. They say mixed. They drop the race part off because they want to because a lot of the kids in the doc talk about it's actually a part of mixing cultures, too. It's not just about how you look in your shade. So, you know, when I was growing up, maybe it was the same for you. Biracial was the term that we called people. Yes. And then and then a lot of folks were like, I'm actually more than two races. And so then it became multiracial and then a lot and but i think a lot of these terms come from the outside it's like the way black folks we didn't get to pick the word negro we just sort of were assigned it and like i guess well that's better than what they used to call us and then at some point we decided no 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 we either want to be african-american or black and i think mixed folks are going through that now so i would imagine by the time my daughters are grown up there will be some new term but i would say this about barack obama that i think was very important when he put on the census black and didn't check mixed or or a mix of races that was his way of understanding the power of who I am is in letting black people know I see myself as black. And I think that was a key part to his relationship with black folks, because as we know, he doesn't he's not necessarily black the way the rest of us are black because of who his dad is and all, and all that stuff. Hmm. I mean, that's interesting. This special is told from the perspective of children. Why? Why children? I mean, because I had these, we me and my wife had these fascinating conversations in our house and we sort of realized that like a lot of times people talk about mixed race kids and talk about how they imagine they're living, but don't talk to mixed race kids. And and so I'd already, some of these kids in the special, I know because they go to school with my daughter. And so I knew these kids were having great conversations in their houses and had a lot to say and that I knew who their parents were. So some of these kids I'd say are ringers. It was like, I knew I was bringing like Jordan and Magic Johnson <laughs> to, to sit down and have these conversations. <laughs> that leads into my, like my next question, but just out of curiosity, I was like, how did you find the families that you interviewed? And how geographically diverse are they? Because one of the things you brought up early in our conversation is 
I'd imagine that a biracial couple with kids may be may have a different experience in the Bay Area than they would have in Jackson, Mississippi. So sure. how do you try to cover the diverse geographic perspectives in your special? I mean, so the one thing we did is we decided to just stay in the Bay Area because if we it's an hour long and it was really important for us to make it a thing that families could watch together. And as we all know, if you have kids, they tap out after about an hour unless it's unless there's explosions and superheroes or, or unicorns. So we really wanted to make it a tight hour. And then at some point when we filmed the first three days of just my daughter and her friends and some other kids we had cast in the Bay Area, we realized, I think we're done here. And I think if the special does well, the power's in, there should be more made. There should be, because I think if we had, if we at first we talked about flying around the country, but I realized if we fly around the country, no kid's going to get enough of their story in there. Correct. And so the idea, and no, and no, no geography in the country is going to get covered enough. So it's like, I feel like, why don't we focus on the Bay Area? Because people have all these preconceived notions about the Bay Area. And one thing the special does is go, even though the Bay Area is supposed to be some sort of like liberal mecca, these kids are still experiencing racism. And so at the same time we were doing this, I was filming an episode of United Shades in Appalachia. And there's a lot of mixed folks in Appalachia. And I was like, we should then, if this goes well, we should come here and do a special about the kids here. Because I think that like, but the problem with there not being enough representation is that every bit of representation has to carry too much weight. And so I feel like with this thing, mixed race folks all over the country are going to be like looking for themselves in here. And so we try to own, this is just the Bay Area. This is not everybody's mixed experience, but hopefully if it does well, there will be more. One of the questions that I like to ask documentarians, I think that's what you're called. I am and, now, yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and authors, I mean, there's a, there's a strong similarity between the two and the way they tell their stories is, how did this special change how you may view, even though you're raising one, how you view racially mixed families, if at all? Did it broaden your perspective? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about your wife? What did you learn about your kids? First, well, I'd say I learned, I learned about me and my wife that we're really good parents because our kids are great. <laughs> we were really good parents because uh, we very, pro I mean, in this way, we have proactively talked about race and racism in our house uh all through all through their lives and so it, it was good to sit them down and like for at one point i asked my older daughter to define segregation to my younger daughter and she nailed it and it's just like felt like i felt proud as a dad to know that my my 10 year old could define segregation and especially if you think about right now there's schools around this country florida where they don't want no kids to know about any of that stuff so that was one thing but then i learned that these kids it's really we say we'll say things like you're half black and half white most of these kids don't say that way. They, like I said, the, the young boy earlier said, I'm 100% black and I'm 100% Filipino. They don't see themselves as being a part of these things. They see it as being like, it's like, think about it as like a, a buffet. You're just putting more on the plate. Like, it's not about like, I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's about, it's more and more as one mom said. Do you think just after completing this film, that there would have been a complete and total difference with the way uh, this film comes out, the messages that are told if you filmed it from the perspective of, of millennials and people whose lives are already fucked up like ours. Yeah, well, that's well, I'll say this. There are a couple of uh, millennials and even an 80 year old mixed man in there because we do want to show that, like the way the kids talk, we don't want to create some sort of like candy coated world. We do want to show that, like the way the kids talk, these kids in the current era talk is very different than the way older kids talk and the way that uh, grownups talk. So there are a few adults in here, but certainly the thing I was trying to steer clear of is I didn't want to do the thing called the tragic mulatto uh, thing that you see <laughs> oftentimes. <laughs> and so, because my kids don't come off as tragic mulattoes, and I don't think most mixed folks 
even though they experience trauma, they're not walking around feeling like a tragic mulatto all the time. I don't want to speak for them. I'm not mixed. But I will say this, that like it was important for me to create something around the mixed experience that felt lyrical and and moved and felt animated. It's not animated, but felt animated. And these kids do a great job of that, because I think if you go on Instagram right now and you type in the hashtag mixed and you see mixed folks talking about their experience, older mixed folks, you will see under there the comments of people saying, pick a side, pick a side. Why are you trying to why are you trying to reach for whiteness? Why are you trying to be white? And for me, I wanted to make something that felt like an antidote to that and say, if you let these people talk, we should let them have access to their experience and their feelings and it shouldn't threaten yours. Wow. I mean, that's that's interesting. That's that's layered. That's a lot more to think about, even in a society that already has us kind of stressed out enough. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Quick curveball here, because something I know I see people talk about a lot on Twitter, it drives some people to our right on just insane. How many commercials seem to have in... <laughs> like mixed race couples do you think this helps or hurts the conversation around mixed race families or do, does it does it matter i mean i'll say i uh i mean i think it helps i think it helps whenever you see yourself when you feel like you, the representation matters i think that like the the same people these are the same type of people who were who would have been mad in the 60s when you saw a black person in a commercial you know what i mean or the same people who were mad every time like wait a minute those two men in that commercial they weren't kissing but were they gay i mean it's the same thing i think that we have to that uh, like so cheerio, was it the cheerio commercial where they had the gay couple first and people went ape shit crazy? yeah i mean it's just like it's just there i remember you know I mean, I remember people in America being mad about, I think it was a McDonald's commercial in France that had a gay couple in it. It's like, this ain't even marketed to you. You're just mad. So certainly it helps. I do think that that culture, popular culture, movies, TV, even commercials can help actually push the conversation. I don't think marriage equality happens as soon as it does without Shonda Rhimes every Thursday night on Grey's Anatomy, sort of like having couples who are, are lesbian couples or gay couples without Ellen DeGeneres going on TV five days a week back when she was nice, back when we thought of her as nice, like dancing and saying my wife Portia every other word, you know what I mean? So I think that the idea that certainly that stuff helps. And if it's annoying people, that's helpful too, because you find out who your allies are and who your enemies are. Mm. Well, tell me this, uh, when will this special air and how can we watch it? Uh, it's going to air on HBO and HBO Max. It starts on May 2nd at 9 p.m. Uh, sadly, it'll be up against the Warriors game, <laughs> but hopefully people can catch it on streaming. Who did, who did that? You you guys in the Bay Area will not I know. I, I cheered for Steph too hard. I cheered for Steph too hard, and he ended up making it to the next round and playing LeBron, which I want to see, but I, I will watch my film and have to watch the I'll, I'll watch the playoffs on my phone off to the side. You know, the crazy thing is I was – immediately began to look for tickets yesterday and realized <laughs> I might have to sell one of my children. Yeah, um, no, 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 no. It's not it's <laughs> the Lakers and Silicon Valley. No, you can't. Yeah, that just doesn't, that doesn't go well. Tell me what else you got going on that you can talk about. I learned by having actors and stuff on the show. Sometimes y'all got stuff going on you can't tell me about. So I don't want you to get in any trouble, but what else do you have? Going uh, on? Well, you know, like I said, I'm a hustler. I'm a hustler, baby. So I'm always working. Uh, so, you know, but the other thing I had, a, I had a book come out last year called Do the Work, the anti-racist activity book for adults. It was a book about how to be an anti-racist as an adult that's filled with games and and uh, and quizzes and coloring pages to try to teach adults how to like get into this anti-racism thing as a practice and not just as a trend. 
And so right now me and my co-author are actually working on one for kids. The difference being that the adult book uses shame a lot to shame adults to be better. Whereas kids, it's not your fault yet, kids. So we're just, we're just trying to share some information with you so you can understand what anti-racism is. And how do people follow you on social media? Give everybody all your good details. Are you still on the Twitter? I'm on the Twitter. They yanked my blue check mark, but I'm on the Twitter at W Kamal Bell and on Instagram at W Kamal Bell. I opened a spoutable account, but I've only think I've spouted three times. And but yeah, but I'm at W Kamal Bell on that too. You know, I, I actually kept my blue check mark, and I'm not ashamed to tell you. I um I wanted I wanted to keep the two factor authentication. Yeah, like yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was definitely terrified of losing the security of it. Yeah. So. I just paid the eight dollars a month. No, no, I don't have any. I don't have any. I know a lot of people who paid the eight dollars. I was too loud, too early to pay the eight dollars. <laughs> so I just had to. I'm gonna go ahead and just see how this plays out. Understood, man. It's a pleasure to have you on the show again, W. Kamal Bell. Thank you so much for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. I hope everybody tunes in Tuesday. Yes. Uh, let me get the date right. Tuesday, May second, to HBO. And if you can't watch it, then because maybe you're watching the game, actually. Yeah, the game doesn't come on till ten, so you can actually ten Eastern. Oh, that's oh, so for Eastern folks, you can watch this at nine to get ready for the game. Yeah, oh, that's what we do in my house. Say less. Yeah. That's yeah, what we yeah, do yeah. in my house, and then the, we're gonna the, watch it on. We're gonna watch it on HBO Max, and then I'm gonna try to get it shown in my kids' school, but it would probably oh, yeah. be banned. But <laughs> I'll send you a link. You can just sort of send it to a teacher. All right, I appreciate you. Thank you so right. much for joining Thank the you. show again, brother. Thank you. Appreciate right. you. Let's go.